it's hard to separate the thoughts of they just rejected me as a person versus they just rejected a very limited perception of me that doesn't represent the whole me or like the bigger picture of who I am. It's so easy to forget that we are so much more than what we boiled down to 150 characters in a dating profile for someone to swipe left or right on. Hello and welcome to the podcast, to another episode of Queerly Overthinking. I'm your host, Adam Harper, and in today's episode, I'm going to be sharing my hot take on dating and relationships. I'll be sharing what it's like to date in the queer community and on the apps, what my personal experience has been, and where I'm at in this journey of love. I'm a little excited, a little nervous, but here we are. Here we go. Are you ready? I know I am. (laughs) You know, it's so funny, as I was typing up the outline for this episode, I was sitting in Starbucks because obviously iced coffee. And as I was just starting to type, Katy Perry's song, Never Really Over, comes on the radio. And all I could do was laugh. (laughs) It was such an ironic moment. You know, when like that song comes on the radio and it's just like, it happens to tie into whatever you're doing or feeling or thinking about. Um, I love her, by the way. I did a little 24-hour trip to Vegas to see her. I took a Wednesday and Thursday off and flew in, checked in, changed into my concert outfit, had the best night, and then the next day, checked out and flew back to Dallas. (laughs) Anyway, this episode, truthfully, has been one that I've wanted to do for a while, but I didn't feel quite ready to do it. I feel like there were still things that I wanted to, (laughs) quote-unquote, overthink, and process before I felt like diving into the topic of dating and relationships, but I feel ready. I'm still a little nervous, but I wanted to share my thoughts on this rather personal topic. The first thing I wanted to mention is that there is such a uniqueness to the landscape of queer dating. I actually had a conversation about the differences and similarities between homo and heterosexual dating, between the dynamic of getting to know someone Uh, off the bat to the way that you first connect with them on an app or in person. Many of us, I'm sure, are familiar with the big players in the app world, uh, Tinder, Bumble, Hinge, and more. Funny enough, a majority of them are owned by the same company, and it's basically a choose-your-own-adventure in how you want to approach your online dating experience. The two more popular or well-known apps in the LGBT community, more so the ones geared towards mass-presenting individuals, are Grindr and Scruff. Two of the more prominent differences between these apps compared to mainstream apps is the main way that people interact with one another. It's not necessarily swiping and matching. It's based on who's nearby, and everyone's profile is in a scrollable grid, and you can message anyone without having to, again, swipe or match to start the conversation. But granted, not everyone responds. <laughs> the other difference as um, that kind of ties into the first one is that it's based on geolocation. So instead of saying, this person's 30 miles away, it could say this person is 30 feet away. <laughs> I've sometimes seen it where it says this person is seven feet away from you. Yeah, it's a little wild. Uh, I've definitely had to be careful, not just on these apps, but other apps that use your location. This is your PSA. Y'all be aware of what information you give out to apps, specifically your location. Aside from the digital aspect of queer dating, 
I want to talk about more so how the queer community preaches love and acceptance for all. There is a lot of work that still needs to be done in our community outside of that. This isn't new. It's, I feel prevalent and exposes itself even more when it comes to interactions and dating. People have types, people have preferences, people have things that they're into and that they're not into. This, unfortunately, can seep into being racist, shunning people who are HIV positive, being transphobic, misogynist, body shaming, just to name a few. And it's really frustrating when there's a usage or, you know, using the cover of a digital experience and not actually interacting with someone in person that can make people forget that there is someone else on the other end of that phone. Who knows? I might do a whole episode on how I've had to work through rejection when I feel like someone's rejected me on an app or when I need to express disinterest. But the reason I wanted to mention this is that there are very real and deep-rooted stereotypes and biases and stigmas in the community. Anyone who is familiar with just online dating in general, rejection can feel deeply personal because it feels like maybe you're putting yourself out there, a small part, a big part, and it's hard to separate the thoughts of they just rejected me as a person versus they just rejected a very limited perception of me that doesn't represent the whole me or like the bigger picture of who I am. It's so easy to forget that we are so much more than what we boil down to 150 characters in a dating profile for someone to swipe left or right on. Okay, so that was a brief look into what it's like to be on a queer-themed dating app, but truthfully, that is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to dating, and I could dive so much more into various aspects of the digital side of things, but I want to expand on what challenging environments we have to work through and the formations of love and intimacy concepts. If you've listened to previous episodes, you may know I grew up Mormon and also grew up in a relatively conservative community. Definitely check out those episodes uh, two and three of the first season for a brief intro into my background. But this greatly impacted my ability to date. And I'm not the only one who's experienced this. Countless people who grew up or who are currently growing up in belief systems or communities where it is not widely known or accepted to be gay or queer, at least for me, I didn't know what dating looked like in my community. And I hid behind the Mormon guideline for teens to not date until 16. And even then, it you know was suggested to do group dates instead of single dates. But I still had to do my church service mission, so I didn't really focus on dating until I was in my early 20s. When you think about it, where do we usually get an idea of what it looks like to date people? My first thought is media, movies, TV shows, books, and more. Thinking back on my childhood, teenage years, and young adulthood, I can't remember ever ever seeing anything remotely related to a gay rom-com. You know, two gay men having their first encounter at a bookstore or a coffee shop, the butterflies when one asks the other out on a date, seeing them across the dinner table and having a conversation, wrapping up the night with a walk under the city lights. Genuinely, I don't think I ever saw something remotely similar to that until recently, you know, within the last 
five or six years or so. So where does that leave people like me? Well, to put it bluntly, explicit content is often how queer people are exposed to any semblance of on-screen interactions between people of the same gender. Something for all your parents out there to consider, it's not a question of if your kid comes across explicit content, it's a question of when, and will you be a safe and understanding person for them to talk to about it with? I'm not gonna get into the logistics of that industry or shaming performers or workers who willingly pursue a career in that industry. What I will say is that explicit content can have a huge impact on the formation of the concept of intimacy, love, respect, and connection for anyone. And the level of work that it takes to build those concepts is the same level of effort, if not more so, to deconstruct that and rebuild those perceptions. I'm covering a lot of really intricate points from a high-level perspective, so let's pause for a second and take a step back to reflect on everything I've shared thus far. Having never been exposed to queer dating behavior growing up, many people find any semblance of that through explicit content. That, in turn, can build unhealthy concepts of love and intimacy, personal appearance expectations, that one's a huge one, and harmful preference biases. All of this then leads to the point I'm attempting to convey that many people in the LGBT community are simultaneously forming, deconstructing, and reconstructing what it means to date, have a relationship, be physically intimate with someone, all while, depending on where you live, are just trying to survive and thrive and just be themselves. Alrighty, y'all. This, I feel like, is the part of the episode that took me the longest to overthink. <laughs> well, I mean, with everything that I've shared, I'm sure you're curious to know what my dating life has looked like, right? As of recording this, I have seriously dated or been heavily involved with a couple people, but between those, I've had several quote-unquote romantic flings that lasted a few months at a time. Each interaction, I feel like I've walked away learning something new about myself and how other people think and react to life in different situations. I feel like it's really easy to put on those rose-colored glasses and think, this is perfect, or... I'm doing the thing, I'm dating someone, or this is just what I always pictured it would be like. Especially when you think about what Hollywood says dating should look like. I think that's something I'm guilty of a lot, actually. (laughs) Sometimes, though, I'll take it to the extreme opposite and find any reason to shut it down. Often I tell my friends something along the lines of, so I met this guy, he's cute and all, but I don't think it's going to go anywhere. (laughs) I'm looking at you, Cass. She's always calling me out, which I appreciate. But in all seriousness, from my past relationships and experiences, I think I trust and invest in someone really quickly. So uh, my response of it's not going to go anywhere, I think is an emotional trauma defense response to not allowing myself to open up as quickly to someone, but I am working on that. Y'all, therapy, therapy, I cannot recommend it enough. But as for right now, I am single, and I'm really happy with that. 
To me, dating and the apps can help you figure out what you want and what you don't want. And right now, what I want genuinely is to focus on myself and direct my energy towards myself, towards the things I'm passionate about and heavily invest in myself. I recently took a 90-day break from the dating apps and it just felt so liberating. After that 90 days, I did re-download them just to see what I was, you know, if I was missing anything. I can genuinely say I don't feel like I am. I started to feel like a commodity and that felt gross to me. I'm not saying everybody feels that way. I'm not saying that's how I feel every time I'm on them, but it just felt like I was putting myself up for someone to say yes or no. And I just didn't want to have to think that or feel that by any stretch of the imagination. So as of right now, I don't have any dating apps on my phone. I may download them intermittently when I travel to network with people in the area, which I actually really enjoy. I mean, that's how I've met some pretty amazing people in my life to go to a conference or a convention and just say, hey, are you here for the same thing? What are your thoughts? Let's talk about it. Let's grab lunch. Let's hang out. You know, I have genuinely appreciated being able to do that with the apps and being able to make amazing friends that way. But on a regular day-to-day basis from home, I feel so much more confident in myself not having the apps on my phone. I feel like the people who see me and interact with me get a much larger perception of who I am, and I feel more valued that way. Additionally, I want to emphasize how grateful I am for the recent lessons that I've learned from dating, specifically in choosing myself, choosing what I want, learning to express what I want, learning how to say no, deconstructing more of my people-pleasing nature. (laughs) Y'all, that one's really hard. (laughs) So many things all related to making myself more a priority. I'm going to chalk that up to maybe something in childhood of learning to people please, but you know, that may be a whole nother episode on all on its own. <laughs> the point I want to land on is yes, I would love to have a romantic relationship with someone, but what does that look like? I think it's different for everyone and different than what we've been exposed to in the media. To me, I feel like my close friends and chosen family can fulfill certain needs and wants related to having a close and personal relationship. I would say I'm hoping to eventually find someone who fulfills more the physical side of a relationship. I'm also hoping to find people in more in-person situations at social events. I feel like you get to see more of how someone actually is in person rather than through a phone, photos, and text messages. A side note, as an extroverted introvert, this takes a lot of courage and confidence and mental energy and preparation to attend social events more than I already do. I love staying home. I love playing video games. I love watching movies and TV. I just love working on personal projects. So to actually get excited about something that I want to go do, whether it be a hobby or a social event, and to mentally prepare myself for that, it takes a lot of courage and confidence and mental energy. (laughs) In the end, I do believe in the feeling of being loved, which 
I believe is only something that you can give yourself. Doesn't matter if you're in a relationship or not. Love is an emotion that is produced from within you. I believe that there are people who can add value to your life. I believe in myself and I am cultivating a healthier, richer, value-filled life for myself. And whoever comes along can join me in that shared journey. Today's quote comes from Steve Maraboli. He says, love yourself, forgive yourself, be true to yourself. How you treat yourself sets the standard for how others will treat you. To add to that, I just want to say, y'all, remember, you are deserving of love, happiness, and authentic connections. Keep embracing your true self and nurture those meaningful relationships in your life. Thank you for joining me on this episode as we explored the complexities of dating relationships. Wait, you thought we were done? Absolutely not. This is Cass Cooper, and I am one of the producers here for Queerly Overthinking, and I will be back in two weeks to tell you all about the tea that we get from Mr. Adam Harper. There is no way we could get this all into one episode, so I am taking over. I am going to ask all the questions to get all the tea and figure out more about how we can date responsibly and be in this online world. So we will see you in two weeks. Queerly Overthinking is produced by Adam Harper and Cass Cooper. It is edited by Adam Harper with audio mixing by Necessary Outlet Productions. You can follow Queerly Overthinking on Instagram at Queerly Overthinking and find more at www.queerlyoverthinking.com. Queerly Overthinking.